Have you ever wondered what happened to the legendary Chuck Norris? I recently saw a health video he made and I was surprised. He's in his 80s and still seems to have his energy and health. He says he's even stronger, has more stamina, and plenty of energy left over for his grandkids since making one simple health change that helps his digestion and nutrition. He says he still feels like he's in his 50s. His wife made the same change and she's never felt better. She says she feels 10 years younger and she has energy all day. Many of us do not include the fruits, vegetables, and other herbs that increase health and energy in our own diets. Chuck Norris made a special video that explains how he incorporated these things with one simple product. You can watch it by going to mymorningkick.com forward slash Harris. It may change your approach to your own health. Once again, that's mymorningkick.com forward slash Harris. Hey everyone, welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. I am John Harris, your host. We're going to talk today about a number of things. It's going to be a social justice and evangelicalism news roundup. I'm coming to you from the road outside Waco, Texas this morning, enjoying every minute of my time here in Texas. And just wanted to give you a road update as well. Uh, my wife and I both are having a wonderful time. And over the weekend, it was, it was just amazing. We had A.D. Robles and Joel Webin speaking on Saturday, and we had probably almost 300 people come out. Many of you have shared similar stories with me. I love hearing your stories, but uh, coming from similar backgrounds, either you're in a church currently or were in a church that was compromising, maybe you didn't have words for it, you couldn't understand what was it that you were sensing that seemed off, and then you, you found A.D. Robles. You found someone who gave words to what you were sensing, and you tried to confront leadership about it or ask them questions, and all you got was either the ring around the rosy or you were told to, if you reference me or AD or Joel or someone that, you know, you're listening to liars, you're listening to racists. There, there was no ability or willingness to try to interact with material presented, simply uh, a smear campaign. And then you felt kind of uh, either ashamed or just uh, like, like there wasn't an approachability there. And then from people who, uh, even, even gospel coalition folks, I talked to people who went to churches uh, where, where, uh, people on the board for the Gospel Coalition preach, and uh, so much for winsomeness, right? And and unfortunately, this is uh, exactly what we're getting from evangelical elites, but th that elitism filters down to sometimes even smaller churches. And um, I've explained before, I think the reason is, and I saw this in seminary, pastors who leave seminary, and then they go to a church, and their view of hierarchy officially in the church is that elders are the uh, the, the top position, if you, for lack of a better term, the position of leadership and spiritual authority. But in reality, what they actually believe deep down is that there's this extra hierarchy above that. There are uh, evangelical industry elites who write books and go to conferences and have platforming. And that's what they aspire to. And that's what they're playing to. And their congregation often comes second. And this story has just been authenticated to me over and over and over. And, and I'm, not, I'm not sure how big of a class of people that would entail, but there's certainly a class of people out there, a class of pastors, a class of spiritual leaders in churches uh, who would be dis aptly described by what I just uh, talked about. And, um, and, and it's sad. It's sad to me. It's sad that you're coming from that. But the Lord is reshuffling the deck. The Lord is, uh, as Bodie Bauckham says, um, using this fault line to purify the church and the people who want to be with the world and try to appease the world. It's not going to work with the people who want that and want to soft pedal things from the world. 
uh, they end up being in one category. And then you have the people who really just want to stand on biblical truth and not waver. And they're on the other side. And there's a chasm now in between. And that chasm is getting bigger. And it's not a political chasm, not strictly at least. There's a political religion involved, social justice, but it's not a political chasm. It's a theological chasm, ultimately. And we can't miss that. Uh, it's often described by those on the wrong side of that chasm that it's just political. It's just secondary. It's just tertiary. It's just not important. It's just we should have unity, and you should just basically tolerate the leftism that we're spoon-feeding you. And that's not at all what we are called to do as Christians who believe in the Word, who believe in truth, and who want to see this world uh, changed for Jesus Christ. And so, uh, I'm I, like I said, I'm, I'm just so happy to meet so many of you. I'm happy to be uh, speaking at churches and helping uh, Christians navigate some of these things. And um, uh, I told a number of people, I, I don't know how long I'm going to be doing this, but when, when the Lord opens a door, and I, I see that door open right now, I want to be used by Him. I want to go through that. And I want to acknowledge those who have allowed me to do this, because this stuff isn't free. I know that, uh, especially with gas, <laughs> the way it is now, and, and the cost of rental cars and all that, um, there is a cost involved. And it is uh, paid for. It is more than paid for by the support that you all have given me. And I'm especially thankful for those uh, who, who have donated and given on Patreon and, and just also for your prayers. You know, thank you so much. It's the Lord that I see um, as the one providing to make this all happen. But um, I'm just overwhelmed by the generosity of the saints and uh, looking forward to flying to Boise tonight. And then this weekend, uh, we'll be at a homeschool conference and then speaking twice on Sunday, and I'm just looking forward to it. I, I think it's just going to be a wonderful time, and uh, that's that's the travel update. So I wanted to uh, go over some evangelical social justice news, if you will, uh, briefly here. And there's a lot of stories, but I'll just give you some, some things that um, have come across uh, not my desk. <laughs> I don't do we say that anymore? Do we have that anymore? You know, people aren't putting files and newspapers and magazines on my desk. It's really my phone. People are sending things to me. And I, what I do, this is for those curious about how I do podcasts, a lot of the time I try to screenshot things, if, things that I might not read in the moment, but I screenshot it, I'll go back. And here's a few of the things that I've screenshotted that I thought this, this is something I think is important. This is something I want to talk about. I want to start um, with something that's maybe old. It's a few weeks old. Um, but it, it, it ties in with something that's more recent. And it has to do with Francis Collins. It's a uh, story that I read in Red State, and uh, Collins um, mocks Christians, essentially. Uh, not all Christians, right? He's a Christian. It's an interview with Russell Moore for Christianity Today, Megan Bashan. Uh, God bless Megan Bashan, by the way, at the Daily Wire for exposing some of this, but she exposed a recording that... Uh, Russell Moore, an interview that Russell Moore had given uh, with, or Francis Collins had given to Russell Moore. And in that interview, Collins essentially says that Christians need to be about safety during COVID. And this, this was in uh, late last year. And one of the, here's one of the quotes. He says that evangelicals have wrapped themselves in the flag and wrapped themselves in the concept of personal freedom. That public health just grates on them. They're against public health because they want their freedom. And then he mocks a Southern accent and says, ma, freedom means I get rights. This is Francis Collins' view of evangelicals. Now, the interesting thing to me in, in studying evangelical uh, social justice going back to the 1960s and 70s is that 
This is the exact language that Jim Wallace used. Uh, and I don't know if he came up with it, but when immediately when I saw that Collins was using the language of wrapping yourself in the American flag, that's exactly what Jim Wallace said when Sojourners got started. And in fact, the, the first um, cover of their magazine was, I believe it was a, a, a Jesus wrapped in the American flag, or it was, it was some kind of, um, it, it was trying to show that Christianity had compromised itself by siding too much with America and supporting the status quo in America. And that's what Collins is saying. He's, and I'm wondering, how, you know, how much influence is there? Collins is the right age to be influenced by the Ron Siders, Jim Hollis's, uh, Richard Mao's, etc. And I wonder if, if there's a, a tie there. I don't know. But uh, his whole premise here, though, is that, uh, we should, that the government has the authority to suppress individual rights uh, because in the name of public safety. Now, this is, a, this is a hard thing to navigate. I've talked about this before. And I think the, the question that needs to be first asked is rights to what? Rights for what? What kind of rights are we talking about here? If you're talking, because there's different conceptions of rights out there, but if you're talking about rights as given by God, because they're tied to responsibilities God give, has given us, uh, namely to feed our families, to protect our families, then th these are, are things that shall not be infringed upon. Uh, to to um, stop or to uh, tell someone that they can't work, which is the situation right now, essentially, and, and less so in the United States, thank God, but uh, in Canada, of course, that's what the whole trucker protests were about, that you cannot work. You cannot actually do what God has commanded you to do. Now, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat, but you have people telling you you can't work, and it's not like everyone can just learn to code, as some elites are fond of saying. Uh, it's not like you can just switch careers that quickly. Some people can. Some people can't. They only know one thing. And, uh, and it's an honorable thing. Trucking is an honorable thing, right? There's, there's certain things that they're not, they're not criminal, they're not wrong, they're necessary, and yet if you don't get a shot, or if you don't... Uh, shut down your business or something like that, you're not allowed to participate in feeding your family. And that's really what it gets down to. And that's, I think, how this needs to be framed. Those individual rights are actually responsibilities that one has, and they're Christian responsibilities one has. And shame on Francis Collins. Now, this happened late last year. The story broke, I think, a few weeks ago about this. But there was something I saw recently, I think it was this morning, an individual named Jareth Cock. In, the, uh, in Australia was suspended for practicing medicine for two years in Australia by the AHPRA. Now, what does that mean? What, what's the significance of that? The significance of that is the reason he was suspended was because he was posting articles by John Piper and the, and the Babylon Bee and even the Gospel Coalition, things actually, we so, some, some outlets that we would probably think of as compromised in some ways on these issues, but he was specifically, uh, it was interesting, the article he posted by John Piper was when John Piper, six months before he was for the vax, was against the vax because of uh, the abortion connection. And so he posted that, that initial article from John Piper. John Piper kind of changed his position, it, it seemed like, or at least he thought about it differently. And uh, the Gospel Coalition article he posted was one where it was, it was a particular article that suggested pastors may go to jail, and that's what he was highlighting. From that article. So he's pulling out things that would be against the, the prevailing narrative. And um, 
And, and that was the dangerous thing, that he's posting on his personal Facebook views that uh, seem to be skeptical about the jab. And therefore, he's suspended for two years and apparently in danger of losing his ability to practice medicine, period. And so um, I'm going to try to look for it. I know there's a give, send, go uh, to uh, help pay for his legal fees as he's fighting this. But think about that in, in the context of what Francis Collins, the NIH, former NIH director and uh, Biden science advisor. Think about that in, in the context of what Francis Collins said. Um, people are losing their jobs. People who are taking stands. People who are just sharing personal views. These aren't how are these views radical? How are these views, uh, they're not even necessarily sometimes unique to Christianity. They're just views that uh, any rational thinking person who sees the writing on the wall and is legitimately skeptical about what's happening right in front of them might have. And yet that's enough. So uh, the, the, our evangelical elites are completely out of touch. And this is a big problem. Uh, they're not being the voice for someone like Jared Koch. They're not seeing what's happening, or if they are, they think that it's the right thing, that that's good that Jareth Cox should lose his medical license for sounding somewhat of a warning bell, maybe, on his personal Facebook page. He had no complaints against him. He was a good doctor. Uh, it was an anonymous person who happened to just go on his media, his social media page one day and screenshotted a bunch of things. And what's going to happen, and what it is happening, is that people who are conservative are just not going to post anything. They're not going to share any of their views. They're going to hope to wait it out. And you're going to see a retreat from the public marketplace of ideas. And I'm already seeing it. So we need to fight. We need to get behind people who are fighting this. And Jareth Koch is one of them. I wanted to highlight something else. Jamar Tisby tweeted this out the other day. I think it was like two days ago. He said this, not only was I not exposed to James Cone or black theology in seminary, except in the most negative light, to my recollection, we didn't even read MLK. Uh, not I Have a Dream, or Letter from a Birmingham Jail, or Where Do We Go From Here, not even in ethics classes, nothing. Now, Jamar Tisby, for those who don't know, is a, uh, I, hate, I hate to even call him a historian, he's really an activist, he's a critical race theorist, and he works with um, Kendi now, so he's, he's certainly on the critical race theory bandwagon. But he came out of uh, a very Christian context. He came out of, and he claims to be a Christian, uh, Reformed Theological Seminary. Uh, he was uh, promoted, I think he worked, if I'm not mistaken, with Lincoln Duncan. He, he's, there's certainly a connection there. And, and now uh, he has gone more and more radical. His 2018 book, Color of Compromise, is a mess. The whole thesis of that book is that racism doesn't go away, it just changes forms. Total critical race theory. And Jamar Tisby now, though, is saying that you know, this is a problem, that, that he didn't read James Cone in a positive light, and that he didn't have to read MLK. And now, the seminary he went to is a, a confessional, reformed, evangelical seminary. Why would they read James Cone? Unless it was an apologetics class to refute James Cone. Why would they read uh, MLK? MLK was uh, not, not only a heretic, well, he, I mean, he had... I don't want to get started on all the MLK stuff because it, uh, that, that's a whole rabbit trail that uh, I know I could get started on and go down a deep hole on. But the categories that would be certainly relevant would be heretic uh, for denying the deity of Christ, never going back and correcting that view. Some people say, oh, he corrected it. He never, there's no evidence of this. 
he was ecumenical, called his march in Selma a third great awakening, and yet there were, he was marching with Jews, he was marching with Catholics. It's not a Christian view. Uh, and then you have, uh, in addition to that, his social gospel views. He was inspired by Walter Rausch and Bush, and he talks about the gospel in a very social sense, uh, that, uh, that the gospel is activism. Merging works with grace. And then you have all the character issues deep character issues, deep personal character issues that would be associated with heretics in the New Testament. Why in the world would you study that person at a seminary preparing pastors for ministry? If, if anything, you might study that person to understand some of the flaws in their thinking, some of the heretical ideas that they had. It doesn't mean you have to throw out everything about MLK. It doesn't mean he's someone that didn't do some good things. Uh, it doesn't mean that you can't honor the I, I have a dream speech or something like that, even though it was plagiarized <laughs> in some ways. Uh, it's just that this isn't someone who's going to be helpful to someone in, enrolled in seminary. In a history class and other classes, yeah, you'll, you'll have to interact with that more. You wouldn't expect someone to have to interact with MLK, though. He wasn't a Christian in the orthodox sense. And the same goes for James Cone, except that James Cone's even worse. James Cone uh, believes that the, in the, that the gospel essentially is a rallying cry, a battle cry against oppression, and it's the work of anti-racism, the work, and he wouldn't have called it that, but it's the work of activism. Uh, it's understanding the whole Bible through this minority lens, this black lens, and that's how you should understand things. There's no reason to study James Cone, except in a negative light, but the for, for those who previously were supposedly in Reformed evangelicalism that have now moved, uh, this, this gap, like I said, this fault line is widening. They've, they've moved to the left quite a bit. Uh, to them, you know, you wouldn't study a Jonathan Edwards, right? You wouldn't study a Robert Louis Dabney. You wouldn't study a George Whitfield. You wouldn't, you know, at least in a positive sense. These guys wouldn't be the heroes. They wouldn't be people to glean from in any sense, even if they wrote on ecclesiology or soteriology or any of these, you know, seminal works on these topics. Instead, uh, the emphasis needs to be on these heretics who got the gospel wrong, who were leading people to hell, but uh, they did some nice things, apparently, in the social sphere. And so they become now who pastors need to look to. And this this is actually a fundamental shift, and I've talked about it before. Pastors are no longer pastors. You're not training people who can exposit the Word of God. You're not training people who can apply the Word of God. You're not training people who can shepherd the flock. What you're training now in seminaries are, number one, therapists, and number two, social activists, you know, community organizers, what Barack Obama was. A perfect timing with the new interfaith initiatives from the Obama administration that are completely social justice driven. So that's what is expected of a pastor now in the minds of certain people who used to be on the more orthodox side of things, but are now on this. This is what the social justice religion does. So I don't want you to miss that. Pastors aren't pastors. They might have the title, but they're, they're activists. They're community organizers. They're therapists. They're managers. They're not pastors. So, um, I just thought it was a revealing tweet. And the other, uh, other thing I wanted to talk about, uh, just briefly, Christianity Today, I think this was last week, had a headline about, it said, the headline is this, go ahead, pray uh, for Putin's demise. Pray for Putin's demise. And it's all about imprecatory prayer. And I believe in imprecatory prayer. It's just interesting to me, the pray for Putin's demise, right? But what about the leaders of the West who have... Uh, been the instigators and supporters of abortion, 
Uh, what about Joe Biden? Should we pray for his demise? Should we pray for Trudeau's demise? Uh, should we pray for uh, people who have bought the wrong healthcare narratives and in so doing, uh, many have died because they did not get the treatment that they actually needed. Uh, they got ineffective treatment. Where is, what's, what are the rules for this? That's what I wanna know. Uh, Putin, yeah, it's really, no one's gonna criticize you from the world for going against Putin. But I would, I, I would be in shock if Christianity today said, go ahead and pray for Biden's demise or something like this. I just don't see it happening. And, um, and I don't really have much more to say about that. There's much more I, I think I could say, but um, the hypocrisy is just on full display, I think, in that particular story. I wanted to, let's see, there's one more thing I think I wanted to talk about here. Yeah. Okay, this is, this is kind of bigger in my mind, or at least for, for this particular audience, and specifically those Southern Baptists. This is interesting to me. It, it, it might, might seem small, but I think it's very revealing. There's a church, New Day uh, Christian Community Church in South Carolina, in Greer, South Carolina. And they are a gay-affirming church, blatantly so. You go on their website and their resources, it has activism. It literally says that, activism. South Carolina Pride is listed there. The Human Rights Campaign, the South Carolina Equality Coalition, the Matthew Shepard Foundation, gaychurch.org is listed on that particular page. You go to their Facebook page and the uh, reviews are from people saying how gay-affirming the church is. And yet, they are trying to hire a pastor. And they're using the service that Southeastern uses for getting jobs for their graduates to try to find a pastor. Now, there's two ways of looking at this. And not even two ways of looking at this. There are two possibilities here, or a, or a merger of them, really, all right? Possibility one, Southeastern uh, knows this, or has there is some vetting. You would think there'd be some vetting, right? These are their students, these are their graduates, and they're trying to get them jobs. You'd think there'd be some vetting here. We're trying to get you into a good church. You, you want to be a pastor, we're going to try to set you up with a church you can apply to and go to and serve in. So you'd think there'd be a little bit of a vetting there. Now, let's say there's not. Let's say Southeastern had no clue about this, right? That's option number one. Southeastern knows and, and thinks, yeah, you know, maybe we can get our one of our graduates to go to a, a place like this. I have my doubts about that because I think at least officially Southeastern has to even though they're, I think they're soft peddling of some of this stuff, um, and I'll give you one example, right? Karen Swallow Pryor teaches there. Karen Swallow Pryor, in her book, Engaging Culture, says, hey, all the authors in this book are orthodox. And then she has uh, a, a, one particular author who is a, basically a LGBT activist, say, and it's the whole nine yards. You know, you can be a Christian and you can be engaged in this. Matthew Bynes. And, uh, and, and that's apparently someone who... Karen Swallow Pryor thinks is an Orthodox Christian, an Orthodox believer. She teaches a Southeastern, right? That's just one example. So I know there's soft peddling going on, but I don't think they could come out and officially say, yeah, we, we would be fine with a, a church that's affirming all of this. What's more likely is this scenario. This is the other option. You have a church that thinks, I mean, why not a Southeastern graduate? <laughs> that's why not use a, a search engine or a resource that might bring graduates from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary to apply for this job? And if that's the case, that speaks volumes. Speaks volumes about the kind of, the quality of pastors, potentially, that are being cranked out of seminaries. And I went to Southeastern. I'm a Southeastern grad. But that wouldn't surprise me as much. 
if there's a gay affirming church that says, well, you know, this is Southeastern officially doesn't believe this theology, but you know what? There might be a Southeastern grad out there that might be, you know, they might want to come and they might be make a, a good pastor for our church. And that would speak volumes about the kind of pastors uh, that potentially are being cranked out there. Not everyone, not saying, not painting with a broad brush. I'm just saying the very fact that that possibility is open speaks volumes. And Southern Baptists should be very concerned about this. So I will have the links in the info section for that uh, on this particular video. And I just wanted to inform people uh, in the SBC because I, you know, it might seem small. I, sometimes I get things from people about Southeastern or Southern Baptists and I'm like, I feel like they've been so exposed. I, I don't know what else to, to bring to you, but it is worth it sometimes just to remind everyone, look, you know, the, the, the trajectory isn't good. Yeah, you can probably go to Southeastern and stay away from that stuff. You can find the right professors and, and try to navigate it to, to the best of your ability. But the administration, the direction, it's, all, it's not good. It's not good at all. And that's just one evidence of it. So uh, God bless. Hope this was helpful to you in some way. And um, look, let's keep fighting for the truth for wherever we are. Uh, I know many of you that I talked to over the weekend, you're in churches they're compromised and you're trying to fight the good fight and you're looking for the, you know, when, when do I stop this? When do I leave? Uh, and, and that's something the Lord, um, I think, uh, will, will show you in time. But, but fight the good fight as long as you can. Uh, try to shine the light of truth. Expose the deeds of darkness and trust in God. Uh, he, he is the, the one we need to get our hope from ultimately because he wins in the end. So uh, God bless you all. Looking forward to uh, this weekend, seeing many of you in Idaho and more coming. Bye now. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.